Timothy had just so much stress on him. It caused a lot of that. Sometimes stress causes that. And Paul had, had heaped a, a lot of responsibility on this young man to do all of these things, and, and sometimes it weighs on you. I can assure you that, that it does weigh on you uh, the more that, that you have put on you. Verse 18, he reminds him again, he says, This charge I commit to you, my son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. This charge that he's reminding him of, once again, is a charge that begins in verse 3 that we've studied in this book, where he tells him, Timothy, I'm charging you that you make sure to teach these people that they don't teach another doctrine. Uh, Again, a tremendous responsibility that he's put on him. He says, you've got to be reminded of this. You've got to be continually working on this, Timothy. Again, he calls him my son. He had a great love for him. Uh, We talked about the fact that Paul probably converted Timothy. He says, I'm charging you to do this, Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you. What are those prophecies? You don't know, do you? I don't know either. You know, sometimes the Bible just doesn't tell us certain things. Apparently, God had intended for Timothy to be a prophet. Apparently, they had been people that had prophesied about this very thing, and, but those things are not revealed unto us. They're not revealed because we don't need to know it. Uh, but Timothy had, had prophecies, and Timothy knew that very thing. And he's trying to motivate him <clears throat> because of those things. I read one commentary that they thought that maybe it wasn't some kind of supernatural prophecy, but maybe it was just people that knew him, and they would tell him things like, man, you've got a bright future ahead of you. You've been blessed with a lot of talent. You're going to do great things, and, and we still do that to people today, right? You've got some young people coming up, and man, they're just excellent young people. We say those things to them, don't we? And those things can be motivating to people. Which one was it? Again, I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us much. The Bible does uh, tell us in chapter 4 of 1 Timothy, uh, verse 14 again, it talks about that just a little when Paul says, Do not neglect the gift that is in you which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of hands of the eldership. Um, Again, but we're not given much insight into all of that. He says, I want you to use these two things, he says, by them, by the charge and by the prophecies that you war the good warfare. I want you to use this charge, Timothy, as motivation to fight for what is right. I want you to use what people have said about you as motivation to stand for what is right and to get other people to do the same. He says, Timothy, I want you to wage the good warfare. Wage is a word that means to make a military expedition. I mean, this is a very serious thing. He said, I want you to fight. I want you to go to war on behalf of God. He says, I want you to fight that warfare. Warfare simply means a military service. And he says, as a Christian, there is a war going on. And I think all of us, we we grasp that. In fact, I would say all of us in this room, you feel like you're at war every day, or at least you should. If you don't feel like you're at war, then then you're not at war, and you're on the wrong side of things. Because you see, there's a constant battle. I wrote down things here, good and evil. Why don't we fight that constantly? Don't we fight right and wrong? 
Isn't it always a battle with the world and the church? Isn't it, is it always God and Satan? Everywhere we look, those things are there, right? And those things are there in, in different ways in our life. Paul is telling Timothy, you've got to fight a good warfare. There's different wars going on in our life. There's the external wars, external things surrounding us. I mean, do you feel like you're at a war uh, with what the government pushes on a regular basis as a Christian? You should. Because, man, I mean, they just continually push more and more that are wrong. And, and as a Christian, we're in war. We are fighting that very thing. And, and Paul is telling Timothy, and in turn telling us, you've got to fight a good war. You, you've got to realize that this is the battle that, that I'm placing upon you. So we've got to stand for what is right. I, I mean, we've got people surrounding us that are teaching things that are contrary to what the Bible teaches. They're basing things upon feelings and, and whatever it may be, and we have to fight against those things on a regular basis. Are we going to make a stand? Are we as Christians going to wage a good warfare? You see, there's a lot more external things, but, but what about internal? You ever feel like there's a war going on on the inside of you? You know, the Bible talks about man as having an outer man and an inner man. And the Bible says those two, they, they butt heads, don't they? They butt heads. We have a fleshly side and a spiritual side, don't we? We do. And he says the, the spirit lusts against the flesh and the flesh against the spirit, and, and, and they fight constantly. You see, we've got to understand that. We've got to realize that as a Christian, we've got to fight that. The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 7, verse 14, we've alluded to it multiple times, but beginning there, he talks about the fight going on within himself. He says, I want to do what's right, but I struggle with doing what's right. It is just hard in being a New Testament Christian. Let's go to James chapter 4 just quickly and look at what James says. Again, talking about that internal fight within a man. James chapter 4, verse 1, he says, Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? He's talking about within yourself. As an internal person, he says, our desires causes fights. How many people in here, how many of us have desires for things sometimes that we shouldn't uh, desire to have? Probably all of us, right? Probably all of us, you know, whatever it may be, it may, may be some type of lust for uh, the member of the opposite sex. It may be money. It may be power. It may be what fame. It may be whatever it is. But pride causes all of those things. It causes a war to go on in, in each and every one of us. You realize that Paul told us in Ephesians chapter 6 that we've got to put on the whole armor of God. Why did he tell us that? Why would you have to put on armor? You're in a fight, right? You're in a fight. You don't put on armor to go sit around the house. You put on armor because you're in a fight. And all of that armor was for a person's front side. There's never any armor mentioned in Ephesians 6, 10 through 17, for a person's backside. So we don't run from the fight. We're facing the fight head on. It is something as a Christian that is very difficult. I want to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, if you would with me. Again, Paul talks about this fight. And I think it's important that we go and, and we talk about 
uh, what he dealt with here. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, beginning in verse 3, he says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. It's not a, a physical fight. It's not that we have literal swords and we're out here fighting with people for God. That's not what it's about as a Christian. But look at verse 4. He says, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. We, we don't have, again, the physical weapons. He says, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Listen to what he says. As a Christian, we're in the war, and we're not using physical things, but it's spiritual things. The Word of God is what we use as our weapon to go against the war. That's how we win this war as a Christian. You realize back in Ephesians chapter 6, every one of those things, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, uh, loins girt about with truth, every one of those things, the sword of the Spirit, they're all the Word of God. Every one of them. And Paul says here, these weapons of our warfare, they pull down strongholds. Can the gospel change nations? Can the gospel change people, authorities, whatever it may be? Can the gospel do that? You better believe the gospel can do that. He says the gospel casts down arguments. Can it do that? When we come back to the fact that what God said is the absolute standard and that's it, does that just stop the arguments? I don't get to say so, do I? It comes back to this is what God says. This is the stand. It casts down arguments. It brings every high thing that exalts itself down. You see, people have always tried to do that, exalt themselves above God, but yet the gospel, the word of God, always brings people back down to where they need to be. He says, in fact, the gospel will bring, listen to what he says, every thought into captivity. Can the gospel transform the way we think? If it doesn't, we're in trouble, isn't it? Do you think different now as a Christian than you did before you were a Christian? You see, our thoughts have to be brought into captivity. We have to get a, a grasp on those things as a Christian, and that's hard. Any of you ever struggle with your thoughts? I do. Man, and I mean, that's a regular battle in my life to, to struggle to contain those thoughts because those thoughts is what eventually plays out into actions in our lives. So ultimately, if we don't learn to control what goes through our mind, we're in trouble, aren't we? We're going to lose the battle. We're going to lose the battle. We've got to be so careful about this. You see, God, he wanted to tell Timothy through Paul here, you've got to wage the good warfare. You've got to fight. Man, he says, you've got to fight for the truth. And it's not just, go back to 1 Timothy if you would. It's not just that Timothy had to fight for himself, but he's got to fight for the church. And, and I'm going to tell you guys, if we don't start fighting more for the church, I'm afraid we're going to be in trouble. We're going to be in big trouble because so many things are going on anymore and, and people don't like the truth like they used to. In fact, go back to 1 Timothy. Paul even tells him, he says, you, you've got to have faith and a good conscience. 
If you're going to fight the good warfare, you've got to have faith. Faith is the basis of it all. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Again, it all starts at the Word. But he says externally, you've got to have a faith. You've got to have a faith that is grounded and rooted. Internally, again, we've got an external and internal battle. Internally, you've got to have a good conscience. A conscience comes from you know what the Word of God says and you do what you believe to be right. And in doing so, you will have a good conscience. The Apostle Paul said that he had lived in all good conscience before God. Why? Because he did with all of his being what he thought to be right. And you and I, we need to learn what is right, and then with all of our being, do what we believe to be right. He says, but some people have rejected that. They do, don't they? Do some people, do they base, uh, even Christian people, do Christian people sometimes stop basing what they do on the Word of God. Sometimes, sadly, they do that. Do sometimes Christians, people, do they stop basing everything on on their conscience? You see, sometimes they do because sometimes people's conscience changes because they change what they believe the Word of God teaches. And therefore, they allow more things to go on in their life. And Paul says concerning the faith, he says some people have made it a shipwreck. Now I want you to picture a shipwreck doesn't mean much to us anymore, does it? Anybody ever had a shipwreck in here? I don't see too many hands going up. We, we don't think about things like that. But during this time, that was a big deal. Paul, I believe, if my memory's correct, had been on four different shipwrecks. Four different times. And this was a very real concern for people because this is how they're going to travel for a lot of times from place to place. And, and a shipwreck is a huge, massive deal. And Paul tells Timothy, some people have made faith a shipwreck. Now they have done this personally in their lives and they've destroyed their faith because they've not stood firm on it. They've not been concerned about their conscience. But I want you to notice he uses thee in front of faith. He says there's been a lot of people that have made the faith a shipwreck. They've made a complete and total disaster out of what they've taught out of what they have convinced other people to believe. Does that still happen today? Yeah. You've got people that turns from what they once believed, from what they once stood firm upon, and they've, they've left that. And they've turned aside to, to other doctrines, and the Bible talks about that multiple times. And Paul says when they do that, they've made the faith a shipwreck. And he goes on in verse 20, and he's going to name two particular people, Hymenaeus and and Alexander. He says, they have done this very thing. This very thing that we have talked about. These two men have done that. Now, if I stood up here this morning and I named two people in Cookville that had done that, how would you guys think? Man, people would get real excited, wouldn't they? Man, we would get, I can't believe you've done that, and... And you can't say things like that about people. And, and don't you realize that the society that we live in today, that that's not how you show love? And that may not be how we think we show love, but the Apostle Paul is teaching us right here. I am naming those two men, and I'm going to deliver them unto Satan. And we're about to talk about that. He says that they'll learn not to blaspheme. What was his motivation? That they learn not to blaspheme. So ultimately, what was his goal for those two men? Let me ask you this. If we live a life of blasphemy, 
and we're teaching other people to blaspheme, where do you think we're going to wind up in eternity? Not heaven, right? My kids used to call it down heaven when they were little. I don't know why. That was up heaven, that was down heaven, whatever. But they're not going to wind up in the up heaven. They're in trouble. So his ultimate goal was not, you know, I, I want to call these guys out to embarrass them. And No, his ultimate goal is I want them to go to heaven. And this very thing that I am doing is designed to teach these guys, you don't do this. You cannot do this and be right with God. You know, and God's got things figured out a little better than we do, don't he? Sometimes we don't think so. And again, in our society, this is just a, this is a no-no. You don't do that. But ultimately, the Bible teaches us multiple times, this is what you're supposed to do as Christians. We know Romans chapter 16, verse 16, greet one another with a holy kiss, the church is Christ, salute you, right? We know that verse, and man, we'll quote that verse. But what about verse 17? The Bible says, mark those that cause divisions among you and walk contrary to the doctrine you receive from why would he say that? What was the problem with Hymenaeus and Alexander? What were they causing? Well, they were, they were going to, it was going to cost them their souls the way they were behaving, but what was it costing the church? You remember, he says some people make the faith a shipwreck. I mean, they just, it's make a disaster out of the faith. The faith is the gospel system, the doctrine that, that the church teaches. And they're making a complete and total mess out of it. So in essence, what are they doing to other people? Making a complete and total mess out of their lives. And they're pulling people away from God. And Paul, I've got to do something about it. Why else would he say you've got to mark them? Listen, if there was somebody here in this congregation that was going around and they were trying to teach different ones of you things that were contrary to the Word of God, do you think the church should make that known? Do you think our eldership should stand up and say, whoever it may be, they're doing this very thing? Some of you say, no, you can't do that. But you realize that's the most unloving thing that you can possibly do is to let it go. To allow that person to lose their own soul and to pull people away with them, to allow that and do absolutely nothing about it is the most unloving thing we can do. To someone as a Christian. If we're watching somebody's house burn and we're just standing outside and thinking, hmm, I better not say nothing to them. They may be offended. I know they're in their sleep, but you think that's silly, but ultimately it isn't the same. If you, are, if you are costing yourself your own soul with the doctrine that you have felt that, that you think is right now and you're teaching other people and it's wrong, and we don't do anything about it, then we don't love each other. You see, Paul, Paul loved these two men. Paul loved Demas. Don, he mentioned him this morning. Paul loved Demas. And he said, man, he was a, he, you know, he used to be a guy of mine, but, but he forsook me. He forsook me. We've got to realize that. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 talks about delivering people to Satan. And what it's talking about is, is church discipline. Why do we discipline our children? Man, we love them. We don't, we're not trying to break their spirit, hurt their feelings, and, and all of these other things. We desperately, we love them. And we want them to do what is right. So in essence, we should understand this is exactly what it is. 
First Corinthians chapter 5, you've got a man that's got his father's wife. Maybe it's his stepmother. I don't know exactly how all that pans out. But he says, you should have mourned over this very thing, but you've not mourned. In fact, you're puffed up about it. You're puffed up and you're defending this guy. He is living in open rebellion against God and you know he's walking in sin and he's heading down the wrong path and you should be sad about it, doing something about it, but in fact, you're just you're defending him. Do we ever do that in the church today? Do we defend people when they're in open rebellion against God? When they are in living a life that we know, and it, it's not that we're being judgmental, it's just it's open and everybody knows it. And do we do the same thing? Sometimes. Sometimes. And in 1 Corinthians 5, Paul says, listen, I'm going to give you a charge. I'm going to command you in the name of Jesus Christ, and you're going to have my blessing. You're going to have his blessings. He says, you've got to deliver that person to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, and this is for the purpose, that the Spirit might be saved. That the Spirit might be saved. You say, yeah, but man, I just, that's, that's harsh. It is harsh. It is hard. It's difficult. But always remember the ultimate goal is to save that person's soul. First Corinthians chapter 5, he goes on to say, don't you know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? If you're going to have unleavened bread, and the church is described in the Bible multiple times as, as unleavened bread, can you have unleavened bread if you sprinkle a little leaven in it? Can we do that? can't do that. You can't do that at all. In fact, when you go back and, and you begin to read or uh, studying in Bible Bowl about Joshua, right? You know, Achan did something, didn't he? Did it cost a lot of people? It cost a lot of people, didn't it? Is that fair? A little leaven leavened the whole lump. That's where we begin to understand this whole thing of discipline amongst God's people. And again, as Bible Bowl, man, if you guys studying with your kids, you should understand this. If Achan had have been dealt with right, there would have been a lot of people not lost their life. And God eventually deals with Achan, and he did it for a purpose. He did it for a purpose, and if you'll remember, he said, so all the people will hear and fear. Those two words are used uh, just continuously. Even on down, when you get into the New Testament, Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira, that happened so the people would hear and fear. So they would find out, if this is how you're going to live your life, and you're going to forsake everything you know to be right, this is what's coming to you. And if everybody knows that, what happens? Things are different, right? In some of these third world countries that we think we have arrived so much more than they are, in some of those places, if you're caught stealing, what happens? They lay that old hand up there on a, on a block, and they chop your hand off. You know, I've been to India three times. I would go over there and take my wallet out of my pocket and lay it down. You know why? Nobody's going to steal it. I wouldn't do that here. I mean, I would here in this building. But <laughs> I'm talking about in Cookville. You want to go to Walmart and lay your wallet up on the shelf there and expect it to be there when you come back in an hour? Why? We don't hear and fear anything, do we? Not much repercussions. Slap on the wrist, Right? Pay a $50 fine and go on your way and do whatever you want to do. And, and see, God realizes in order to get people's attention, sometimes things have to be very drastic. Sometimes very drastic. 
Do you think this was embarrassing for Hymenaeus and Alexander? Do you think it brought shame on them and their families? When you feel ashamed and I feel ashamed for things in my life, a lot of times what do I want to do with that? I want to fix it, don't I? How many of us like feeling ashamed? None of us. We don't want to feel ashamed. I mean, that, that just we, 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 want to, we want to stop that however we can. Paul was trying to get these two men to realize, I need to fix this. I need to get back in fellowship with my brethren, with the people that love me desperately. And I hope that we understand uh, that that's exactly, that's exactly what God had intended. Discipline is done to protect people and to improve our lives. It's done in every aspect of our life to protect us and to improve the quality of our life. And that's all that God had intended. I appreciate your attention.